Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello and welcome to Safety Talk. On this show, we discuss and bring attention to a wide range of personal safety and security products and solutions that are available to both businesses and individuals in the digital world and the physical world. I'm your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. As a self-employed information technology consultant since 1995, and as a martial arts master for over 20 years, I bring decades of personal safety and security experience to my role as the host of the show. To learn more, you can visit my website at petecanavan.com and learn how I can help your corporation, college, or conference. So thanks so much for being here to our listeners. We've got another exciting and very informative episode for you again today. And today, we're going to address the question of whether or not the rise of deadly violence in America's classrooms can be stopped. Now, according to today's guest, we are, the answer is absolutely yes. But he says that parents, teachers, and school officials need to know that just hiring a police officer for your school to patrol the hallways is not exactly an effective school safety plan. He is the best-selling author of the book titled Education in a Violent World, a Practical Guide to Keeping Our Kids Safe. He's an award-winning educator, law enforcement officer, and the founder of Safe School Systems, a consulting group that helps schools and communities enact and enhance proven school safety tactics. He's been a leader for organizations across the nation. He's currently a member of the American Association of School Administrators Governing Board, the Terrorism Task Force School Safety Commission, and the Department of Children and Family Services Child Death Review Board. So I want to first and foremost thank him for his service as a law enforcement officer, and we're going to keep our kids safe as I welcome Dr. Stephen Webb to Safety Talk. Welcome, Dr. Webb. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on the show. There's so much we can talk about, always something going on in, in schools and violence and, you know, and how we can keep our kids safe and protect them. And so we're going to see how much we can squeeze into an hour here, okay? Sure. Uh, so. I started the show today with a question that you posed, and that is, you know, can the rise of the deadly violence that we're seeing across America in today's classrooms be stopped? And it's, you know, it's a question that, you know, law enforcement, campus safety officers, educators, parents, and of course, students are asking. And so I pose that question to you. Can it? Absolutely. But it's going to take a, a whole different mindset for people to understand that this is a new world. The kids live in a different world, and we are, we're still trying to shove kids into our world, into a school that was designed in the early 1900s. And until we stop doing that, until we stop standardizing of America's kids, we're going to continue to see this, and we're going to see more of it. And I think that's the scariest part is, is it does appear that the statistics show it. We see it in the news. You know, things are happening with more frequency, which is extremely alarming to, to everybody involved, you know, from the people that work at the schools to obviously the students and, and of course the parents that, you know, sometimes are thinking twice and thinking more about, you know, hey, maybe I should be thinking more about maybe homeschooling my kids or, you know, doing some sort of online curriculums with them and, and enrolling them in a cyber school because at least that way I know I can protect them. I can keep them within the safety and the confines of my home. But of course that causes all kinds of other issues because if both parents are working, you can't really do that, especially with a minor child. And you, you know, you also have to worry about access to technology and it really raises, you know, then you have to worry about also, you know, the child is not going to be exposed to the social interaction aspect of, you know, going to school. And, sure. and so there's a lot of, lot of problems with the proposed solutions, I would say. Sure. Well, my solution is not politically palatable because it would take a complete change in the rigidity of our schools. For example, you take a, a normal human being that, let's say, and I know it's probably not normal, but let's say we get eight hours of sleep a day. If that's the case, and we get a little bit over 5,000 waking hours, and of those 5,000 waking hours, schools get access to those kids in a learning environment for less than 1,000, for about 900 hours on average. In that time, we're supposed to be the social catch-all to take these kids and then standardize everything that, everything that they were learning 
and they learn vast knowledge when they're on their own because of the technology age. We're taking everything that they learned in those 4,100 hours and trying to move them into our classrooms, still building in the early 1900s. And then what's happening is that now we've got one in five boys being diagnosed with ADHD, one in 11 girls. We're talking about a major upshift in behavioral disorder, uh, some type of, of, of a label on these kids because we're taking them from an environment that is completely stimulating to bring them into our rigid environment of trying to herd them through like cattle so we can take a standardized test and compare our kids. Listen, I get it. I get it. Society wants to be able to compare and say that we're the best. America's the best. But I don't care about what our scores are compared to Finland. I care about that one child and the baggage they're bringing in the school. And I want to deal with that baggage because you can't learn if you're in fear. Very true. And, you know, my wife is a teacher. She deals with young children. She's a second grade teacher. She's been doing that 25, 26, 27 years, something like that at this point. And it never gets easier. And, you know, her challenges in the classroom have become so much greater in the last five years or so. She, she now has 30 children in the classroom. 11 of them are either emotional support or learning support. And so on, on an almost daily basis, at least one of them flips out, destroys things, throws things, rips stuff off the walls, and basically has a tantrum because she asked them to do their science work, for example. And right. they just decide they don't want to do it. And so they have a tantrum and they flip out. And she has to evacuate the class. And I can't even believe she has to do this, but she has to say, okay, class, evacuate. And they all get up and they all go out and she has to call down to the main office and they have to bring somebody there with eventually gets there, right? I mean, they're not there in two minutes. It might take them a little, a little bit to get there. And in the meantime, she's trying to kind of keep this child from injuring herself, right? Injuring others, injuring themselves, and uh, or running away and, and bolting, which a lot of times they'll do. And it's the uptick in the problems that we're seeing. I think a lot of it has to do with the overstimulation with technology and the inability to understand the importance of Patience, really, I think is a big problem, too. Well, because they don't have patience, because if they want something in terms of information, it's instant. Right. It's instantaneous information. When we, when we were growing up, we had our social hours were when we went to school, our social hours when we went to church, or when we went to 4-H, or we went to some other type of community club, like Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts. That's right. not the case anymore. The social arena is 24-7. When they come in contact with another human being, it's at the school. That's the first time they've been in contact with another human being after hours and hours and hours of this social media blitz of information and many times bullying and some type of traumatic events that are occurring with these kids. And still yet, we're sticking 30 kids in a classroom when we knew from research back in the 70s that no more than 15 should be in our classrooms if you truly want to create a successful environment for kids. So you just said it in yourself. You've already opened the doors up for the rigidity of our American schools of trying to herd these kids into a classroom, make them all take the same test, and then judge norm of some arbitrary cut score. It pressures the teacher. It pressures the kids. It pressures all of the mental health capabilities that we have in our schools. And so what happens? Now we have behavior issues we can't handle and we come up with plans like evacuating our class instead of coming up with plans of individualized education plans for every kid, not just special ed kids. When a kid walks in, if they've got social emotional learning that they need to work on, that's what we ought to be working on and not sticking them into an English class full of 30 kids and expecting them to conform to our education system. Well, the problem I think too is, is like you just said, Steve, is there the teachers have to teach so that the kids pass a test, not necessarily that they learn, not that they're learning critical thinking. They're not educating the way that they used to. I mean, my wife has had to change how she's had to teach. I mean, she used to be able to teach and she enjoyed it. Now it's all being taught for the test because the test holds so much, right? It's like, how do we stand next to the other school? And are we doing better or how are we at? And did we improve from last year? And it's like a numbers game. And it's, it's a very cold and methodical and statistical way of looking at the numbers instead of focusing on the individual. Because that 
you know, satisfaction and immediate satisfaction. I think I heard today, 98% of all information, all human knowledge, now you can get with one of these. That's insane when you think about it. We had to go ask somebody. We had to go to the library. We to, you know, there were so many different ways of interacting and doing things. We have kindergartners walking in with these. Yes, it's, it, it blows your mind. The highest technology that you could ever imagine. But still yet, we expect them to set their phones down and go back to the way we've been doing things because that's how we get ready for a test. If you want violence to stop, if you want these behavior issues to stop, if you want to start addressing all of these ADHD behaviors, and you know what we do with an ADHD behavior, we give them a drug, because that's what society expects. They expect if you've got a problem, you take a drug and you fix it. And we're giving it to kids as early as three years old, when their brains are just, just starting to develop, and we're throwing a drug into them. That's why we've got an opiate situation, that's why we've got a behavior situation that's directly correlational to the reasons why we now have suicide as the second leading cause of death for our young people. It's directly it's such a tragedy. Pressures that we're putting on kids when they come to school, when they've got enough pressure on them the other 4,100 hours a year. We need to be taking that pressure off of them and giving them activities to do and connecting them to humanity rather than continually separating them. So talking about smartphones for a minute, uh, how – does the use of smartphones and laptops by students uh, sort of lead to episodes of violence and trauma, uh, you know, in the classroom? How, how do you see that, you know, that correlation? Well, the actual in-classroom use of, of technology is better, think, better thinking of it as, rather than thinking of it as a teacher, think of it as a facilitator, facilitating the influx of information. We just established the kids have 4,100 hours of all of this information coming at them. In schools, we need to be teaching them how to sift through that, that information, how to know what's good information, how to know what's not good information, how to know what information you need to retain. And we need to be showing them that during those 900 hours that we've got them. The fact that a lot of schools don't have that technology, that a lot of schools don't have the, the, the access to, to internet a matter of fact, uh, especially a high-speed internet, a lot of schools don't have that type of technology. They can't even offer that type of stimulation whenever they get to the school. So what I'm saying is when the kid gets to the school, there are still the haves and the have-nots, and that is spreading because you've got these kids walking in as kindergartners with these smartphones, and it's the best Apple that they make. And every year they will come in with the newest best Apple that they make. And there will be kids in there that still don't have a phone or internet at the house. And we expect them to take the same test and then we judge them. And when they don't pass, we put them in special education. And now we've got that, that, that spread continues all the way up. So you, you want to see frustration on a kid's face, make them take a test they're not prepared to take. And right. that's why we're seeing behavior issues. That's why we're drugging our kids. I've got an entire chapter in my book about drugging kids. We're drugging them because we believe that there's some type of behavior issue when the behavior issue is we are not looking at this new world as an opportunity. We're looking at it and saying millennials like it's a bad word. This is an opportunity for us to get in there and dig into their world and find out what's in the future. If you're not a futurist, you're not an educator. And right now, our politicians are not futurists. They're looking at what looks good on a podium and whenever they say, I'm going to make it four years, you're going to have four years of math before you graduate high school or four years of English. When are they going to say, you need to have social emotional learning at least half your day. You need to start off with, with recess. You need to end with recess because kids are not going outside and playing in the woods anymore. Kids are not going outside kick the can or, or going to the parks and running. Kids are on their devices. We need to get their behaviors out first and and handle their trauma, then we'll stop this violence. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough problem too. Depending on where the schools are, you know, as you know, like an inner city school versus a rural school, there's a whole another dynamic there. And and where my wife teaches is is in a city, and a lot of the kids that go to that school are being raised by single parents or by aunts or uncles or grandparents or you know their their parents might be involved in some sort of uh, some criminal activity. And, uh, and it's a very, very tough. And 
it is a violent world. And, and your book, uh, which is called Education in a Violent World, uh, A Practical Guide to Keeping Our Kids Safe, uh, it's fantastic because, you know, that's what it should be all about is how do we keep this, these kids safe in, in a world that is just has gone a little, you know, crazy at times. And the dynamic has shifted from when we went to school and how we were taught versus now how these kids are being brought up and what they're, how they're, you know, their learning needs are, are being met or not being met. Uh, I mean, as, as a parent myself, you know, one of the most horrific things that, that I think, it, you know, when my kids were younger, they're a little bit older now, but I mean, it's something that you always is in the back of your mind is, you know, you got to keep your kids safe, you know, first and foremost. It doesn't matter if my kid is, is two years old, 20 years old, or 60 years old, right? As a, when you're a parent, you're a parent. And that's your job, first and foremost, is to keep your kids safe. And with so many sort of, you know, kinks in that plan as parents, we, I think, a lot of times feel overwhelmed and not really certain the best way that we can keep our kids safe, you know, in their day-to-day interactions at school, as well as, you know, when they're out with their friends, et cetera. Um, how, how do you get inside the, the heads of kids who are having difficulty, that are having problems that, you know, or maybe thinking about, you know, they don't have any choices because they have been labeled, right? They have been, you know, they, they didn't have the same uh, opportunities in their family life growing up as maybe some other kids did, you know, it wasn't as, as rosy a a picture, you know, the old American family kind of thing growing up. And so some of these kids, they unfortunately turned to the most extreme solution they can think of. And that's suicide. And that's the scariest thing for any parent to have to deal with is, you know, the death of a child and even worse, the death of a child that takes their own life. So, what can can parents do or what can educators do? What can what any of us do, I guess, to help get inside the heads of these kids who may think they don't have another option uh, that are contemplating suicide or even violence, you know, against the teacher or the school or whatnot? I think you're you're doing it right now because in 2019, we heard about every single school shooting because mass media put it out there and they put it out there for days, if not weeks upon time. And then we're going to, we're going to hear about them again when it's their anniversary. Right. Where is the outrage? I mean, we had all kinds of outrage over these mass shootings. Where's the outrage when we've got thousands of kids taking their own lives across this nation. We've had two in our small little area, just in the last few months, two within two weeks of each other that knew each other in small rural, small town, rural Illinois. And the fact of the matter is that didn't even make the news. I know yeah, I didn't hear about it. And that's the saddest thing. I'm on the child death review team. So I hear about all of them. The news doesn't put it out. So when we just ignore the fact that there is a mental health issue with our kids, remember, it's now the second leading cause of death for them. Second leading only behind automobile accidents. It's grown because we're ignoring it and believing that that's not that's not our problem. That's in their own heads. That's their own that's their own house because generally it's happening at the house or on Facebook Live, so everybody can be a part of it. I was uh, we had a kid in a nearby town that did it on Facebook Live, so everybody can be a part of his suicide. That's ridiculous. We should be addressing as a society and ignoring it and saying, "Well, you should have gone to find help." Hey, particularly in rural areas, people don't go find help. And parents don't want people to think that their kids are crazy. So they don't go out and try to find help. Look at, look at Adam Lanza from Sandy Hook. The, the mom didn't want to believe that there was something going on and even bought him weapons. <laughs> that, that rationalizing in your brain is what we have as, a, as an issue in America. We try to rationalize what we're seeing in the alerts, the red flags that we're getting. And that's why I came up with a para mindset because cops have it. I've got it. Soldiers have it because of the nature of the danger of our job. Everywhere we go, if we're in uniform, we are a target. And that's just the way it is. So, so explain that, the, the para mindset to those that, that have never heard it before or are unfamiliar with that, that state uh, that you're talking about. Certainly. The para mindset is simply 
and I'm going to put it simply here, but it's, it's pretty delicate in how we deal with it. The parent mindset provides you with a situational awareness about you as a teacher, as an educator, to not just respond when there's a threat, like a kid that's throwing a tantrum, or a kid that says, I'm going to bring a gun to school, or a kid that says, I'm going to bring a bomb to school. Now, those are threats that everybody wants to, wants to uh, address and put together a behavioral threat assessment team. I'm talking about the real what's normal about that kid. There's only one person besides the parent that knows what that is, and that's the teacher. The fact of the matter is the teachers don't believe that they've got help out there. If they do see something outside of the normal, then they have to deal with it. In our schools, we have to prepare them and prepare their minds for when they see something, that they've got to be able to address it with other people. And that's the awareness side. So you've got preparedness, the awareness of your mind, which means you're aware of what's going on. You're aware of what's going on in these kids. You can't do it with 30 and 35 kids in your classroom, and you can't do it effectively. Schools right, have got to right. those class sizes down. But if you're aware of what's going on with these kids, then you know when something's going on. But the biggest part of this is the last two, responsiveness. If you don't respond because you think one person can't do anything, then you are the problem because one person can do it. And that brings me to advocacy. I've got a, a, I used to be a basketball coach and my cheerleading sponsor, her son was in Marshall County High School. Her son is now the comeback player of the year because he ran cross country all year this year with a bullet in the back of his neck because he was shot that day in Marshall County High School when they oh had their shooting. So Mason is the comeback player of the year and when I called her to check on him, what she told me resonates and I use it in every one of my presentations. She said, if it were a quarter inch more, we would be burying him. And so I tell everybody, this advocacy part, you are the quarter inch difference in some kid's life. Are you going to respond to what you see? And are you going to make that quarter inch difference? So that pair of mindset is situational awareness for educators. It's situational awareness for parents, for community members to see something going on with that kid and address it and quit thinking it's not your problem because it is. Very true. I mean, it's, it reminds me of a couple of things that, uh, I mean, one of the things that I say all the time is everybody needs to be armed with awareness because, you know, we hear situational awareness a lot because it's, you know, it's the military teaches it and you hear it sure. in, in law enforcement and, you know, people hear that and I think it gets, you know, yes, okay, I need to be aware, I need to be aware. I like to say to be armed with awareness because it's something that it's not like a gun or a knife or something that can be taken away from you. Every single one of us is armed with awareness. Whether or not we choose to utilize that, you know, mind weapon, I guess you could say, is up to each one of us. And then to take it to that next step where you, if you're constantly aware of what's happening to you or around you as, as a teacher, as an educator, as a, as a friend of, a, of another student or someone who is, is having some difficulty, if we're all aware of what's going on around us and not, you know, putting our blinders on or thinking, you know, the world is rosy or, you know, having our, our faces buried in technology and not paying attention, not paying attention. It's like, yeah, 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 whatever. And we're looking at our phone and not paying attention to these things. It's easy for things to get lost. And then the other is, you know, the fact that we can uh, be so, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, but um, having that mindset of being able to do anything, right? Uh, that we have that personal responsibility to not be what I say, you know, don't be a, a bystander, be an upstander, you know, especially in a case of like bullying, but it applies everywhere else. You know, don't stand by and watch things happen. Stand up for things that are going on, whether it's somebody who's being bullied or whether it's somebody who needs help or, you know, someone that just needs a hand up. Uh, to deal with maybe a, a situation that's a short-term thing, right? Because it could be short-term, could be long-term. We don't know what goes on in the mind of someone else. All we know is what goes on in our own mind. And that little bit of compassion, that little bit of responsiveness, that little bit of advocacy can go such a long way in some cases. And we may not even know how much of a difference it's made, that, that quarter inch, right? That's right. That quarter inch difference, but sometimes we don't even see it because we have to hurry and prepare for that test that's getting ready to occur in March. So everybody sit down, be quiet, and conform to our rules, or you're going to be a behavior issue and you're going to have to leave. And instead of finding out the underlying 
issues of the behavior, we have to make them leave so we continue with that cattle herd and get them through the chutes to get them to that test. Until we get rid of the standardizing of America's kids, we're not gonna get rid of these behavior issues and it's gonna get worse. And we're gonna see violence worsen in our schools. And that's just something that nobody wants to hear, nobody wants to think about, nobody wants to believe, really. And that's why you know? I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> as am I, right? We need to, that's right. We need to make sure people are, are aware of the changing landscape, the difference in how you know generations were brought up and how we learned and how we interacted. And it's completely changed today. I mean, in some ways, these kids are interacting with more people by being able to do it virtually through social media and all the different applications that are available. And, sure. you know, they could be talking to 10, 20, 30 kids at a time. They could have friend lists that are hundreds long. Not that they know them all all that well, but it makes it so much easier for them to interact. But when it comes down to the social face-to-face side of it, a lot of times it doesn't correlate. And we see that happen a lot. And so that leads to, you know, problems like we were just talking about, which unfortunately you've got the second highest rate of, you know, child death is due to suicide. You know, what what should a parent do? What should an educator do? Once a student has exhibited or verbalized thoughts of suicide and, and that, that's been detected because, you know, that's, I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, I think they may be thinking of that, but I don't know what to do. They need to get help. With the with the suicide hotlines that are out there, and most schools now have some type of anonymous tip line. If they don't, they should have. You've got to be able to ask for help. The, the problem is, is parents don't want that stigma of that they need, that they need help. So mm-hmm. remember, these hotlines are completely anonymous. They should be searching for help and and not just saying, "Well, that's Johnny being Johnny, or Judy being Judy, or that's just kids being kids, or they're just throwing a tantrum." and saying things off the wall because I've heard it from cops. I've heard it from, from kids. I've heard it from teachers. And that's the way we do things. We start generalizing kids into groups of, well, he's just a class clown. We've got to stop addressing kids in some type of generalized area and look at them as an individual and find out the underlying reasons of why they're behaving like that. Maybe they have a learning disability and it's something that we can get to. And we do really well with our special education in our schools these days, much better than we did in the 70s and 80s. But to that point, that's the, let's just call it as it is. Let's just say the special education, the, the truly learning disabled are in that bottom 10%. And then you've got your, your gifted kids, your, your kids that are going to be A students, no matter what area you put them in, no matter what environment you put them in. What are we doing with that other 80% of those kids that we are bringing into our schools and they are not connecting with that society. They want to stay connected via technology. We need to teach them how to connect with each other in humanity. And we can't do that if we're all focused and rigid on performance and Finland and China <laughs> and those nations that don't even test all of their kids. That's what we're doing is we're, we're comparing apples to oranges and we're stressing everybody to the point where Teachers are not going into teaching anymore. We've got a third less teachers going into the profession right now. And you know what that means. We're going to be putting teachers in there that are not very good. And you're going to be increasing class sizes even more, which is going to compound the problem further, which leads to more issues. And Teachers that are not qualified in our classrooms because we can't find them, particularly in rural America, where I am at, matter mm-hmm. of fact. So that's a problem because people are not wanting to go into teaching because they just don't see an end to the pressures of performance against some arbitrary norm that somebody set and somebody in some office in Washington, D.C. That should never happen. And I, I, one of the things, Steve, that you said earlier I thought was really good and, and a great idea that I think should be implemented throughout all schools, and that is more of the getting out of the classroom, more of the interaction, more of the field trips, right? Going out and and taking what you're learning in the classroom and then seeing how it applies in the real world, whether it's something science-based or something math-based or whatever it happens to be, you know, take the kids, make it a learning experience, but make it fun. Let them interact. Let them have fun. Let them joke around. Uh, You know, soak up the sun, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Anytime uh, you can get out of that rigid environment, you're going to stimulate a kid's minds. You're going to stimulate them to, to, to explore 
And that's why we're the number one nation in entrepreneurship is because we explore. We love to explore. But what we are not number one and we'll never be number one is on a single day standardized test where we're comparing apples to oranges. But we continue to do it. Even though we've all known that it's bad data, we continue to do it because we believe that's what society wants. And I, I'm, I've had my fill of it. And I'm going to go with every radio and TV station I can go to until we get these standardized tests stopped. I'm with you. I think they're a terrible idea because it it lumps the kids in with, am I smart? Am I not smart? Am I just average? And then now they're thinking, well, I'm just average. The test said that. So I could never be a doctor or a lawyer or a a, a whatever, an astronaut, whatever they they aspired to be before that. You know, and, you know, and then, of course, the other, you know, side of it happens too. you know, the kids that are, are labeled as, you know, not being intelligent at all think, you know, well, then I'm, I'm just never going to be successful and that depresses them. And then you have the opposite happen on the kids on the top end of the spectrum where they're saying, oh, you're, you're really, really smart. You're brilliant. You're great on this test. Now there's all this pressure on them to succeed. Right. And it's like, oh, mom and dad are saying, you know, I did so well on this test. You know, I should go to, you know, advance my education. I should be a doctor because this test that, you know, I've been getting, you know, hundreds and A's and everything in school. I must be smart. I need to have a career like that. Maybe they have no interest in it. Maybe they'd rather, you know, do some other job that's completely different. And there's nothing wrong with that because at the end of the day, you want to do something that you enjoy. Right. Certainly. Too many people out there that, that hate what they do every day. And it's a crime. But and that, what you got to do? You assess. You just came up with the greatest assessment that I've been I've been pushing for years is enjoyment and happiness and connectedness. You know what we're doing? We're making so many curricular core curricular uh, mandates in our schools. We're we're getting rid of our vocational classes. We're getting rid of rid of our auto mechanics. We're getting rid of of construction trades and those things that kids can go in and enjoy and work with their hands and not just be on their phone. We're getting rid of that. We're getting rid of our arts, our music programs, our band programs, so we can make room for another math curriculum. And Which is insane because those things place. are so critical. You know, I believe that's what's going to help on a test. And you know what? I'm tired of hearing about tests. Yeah. We really need to talk about that individual kid that's walking in whose who's parents just got divorced. They're fighting over them, so they're, they're both trying to, to be their buddy. And they're giving them everything that they want. So they're, they're spiraling downhill and we stick them back into algebra two class thinking that they're going to be able to concentrate on a one day test. And then when we tell them they're a failure, we expect them to take extra classes to get better on the test next year. That's where we're failing America's kids. And that's where we've got to stop if we want to stop the violence in our schools. I agree. That's that's well said. So let's take a, a, a look over here. I have your uh, website pulled up, uh, the uh, the safe uh, schoolsystems.org site, and uh, should be able to see that now. And uh, so, uh, so, you know, keep your kids safe and secure from school violence. So tell us a little bit about the, the website and why you created it and uh, anything else you can tell us about it. Yes, well, I created Safe School Systems uh, as, as kind of a, a separation from me, from my school district, from my, my personal life, so I can go out and, and bring in other people that are fellow law enforcement, fellow administrators, and be able to go into schools and work with their boards, work with their teachers, work with their parents to start understanding that a, a school safety plan is not a cop with a gun. Listen, I get it. Most superintendents walk into their school districts with a briefcase. I walk in with two weapons on me all day long, every day. And that's just because I decided I needed to take matters into my own hands back in, in a decade ago when we couldn't find school resource officers in our district. So I did it. So I get it. That needs to be in every school, a, a qualified law enforcement officer, but that is not your school safety plan. So this safe school systems, I put this together, not just for that parent that's afraid of sending them to the schools, but if you click on that download and you get my, my uh, uh, brief on the three steps to keeping them safe, it's everywhere. When you go into church, we're seeing people going into churches and just shooting them up uh, because of their, their mental state. Walmarts, malls, anywhere you go in public, we're seeing this in media that people are deciding that they're, they're having mental issues. So that's, that's where they're going to come up with some type of violent event. This is to teach people that everywhere you go, 
even though you've got that phone and I know you're looking at emails or texts or, or your social media, you have to be aware of your surroundings and that's your senses. Our senses as Americans, as people that are in the 21st century, they're getting worse because we're not using them. We're, we're relying on that phone to tell us what, what uh, the weather is and, and <laughs> what's going on around <laughs> us. Instead of using our senses when we go out and, and understanding when we walk into a restaurant, if we're in a vulnerable position, and right. that's not being uh, paranoid, that's being aware that you are the caretaker of kids. And if you're going to walk out in public with kids, you better be thinking about these things. And that's why I put this safe school system together to help people understand that there are, there are better plans out there in your minds than on some uh, dusty three ring binder on somebody's shelf in your schools, because nobody's going to use that when things go bad. And I'm here to keep things from going bad. I'm here to try to get it on the day before rather than the day of. Awesome. So what's the School Safety 101 uh, program that's on the, the site here? Yeah, I started a podcast. And what I, what I do is, is I travel to some of these schools that have had events. Uh, so uh, I traveled to Parkland, Florida this summer. And I, I just came back from San Diego not too long ago uh, and, and went to Santana High School. And what I do is, is I'll just walk up to the school and see if I can talk to anybody. And uh, I talk to anybody around the school. So like in Parkland, I, I, I talked with a gentleman who lived in the area, but actually lived in a neighboring school district. And I said, what do you think about this school shooting? And he said, I can't believe it happened here. It shouldn't have happened here. It should have happened in my son's school because that's the poor school. This is the rich kid's school. <laughs> this is the one that everybody wants to go to. So take that. And I put that into a, a school safety one-on-one program and, and my podcast and, uh, uh I develop different ways of looking at awareness. So as part of my presentation, I bring up videos of, of video games. So this is 2020, right? So in 2020, you have video games that are free. Let's take the number one video game out there, which is Fortnite. Free. My kids played it. But within Fortnite, you can actually set up your own school shooting you can have all of your friends being scared. You can pick one of them to be the school shooter and you can do a simulation of a school and go around and shoot everybody four points in the school setting and be able to talk to all of your 10 year old friends while you're doing it. Now you tell me that's not traumatizing kids to be able to do that on the number one game. That's now, insanity. When you think if, about it, if you think that's bad, there's another free game that I just found. I started using in my presentations. It's called the suicide simulator where you get four ways to pick from. And what you do is you pick one of them and then you go commit suicide using that, using that item. So you have a gun, you have a rope to hang yourself, you have poison, what? which it actually, it actually counts down, <laughs> counts down the time to which you actually die if you take the poison. And then you can jump out of the window of a, of a tall building and bounce. Oh now man, this, that is so disturbing. This video game, can you guess how much it costs? It's free, right? Free. And anybody can play it. Any kid can play it. Any five-year-old can get on there and play it. All you have to do is say you're 18, and you can get on this game and play it. And you know what's disturbing to me? Well, that's all disturbing. Yeah. Disturbing. So many people on there commenting on that website where this game's at that, you know, this doesn't make them want to commit suicide. It's just a game. It's just fun. It's just something that – it is shocking. It's desensitizing them. Absolutely. That's the that thing that they America. don't understand. And those are the kids. And those are the things in those 4,100 hours that kids are looking at because when we're not in the room, they're looking at crazy things because yep. that's what kids do. And when we bring them into a school setting and we put them into a setting that was built in the 1900s, early 1900s, and we expect all of that trauma to be out of their head and for them to focus, not going to happen. And that's why we're seeing the violence today. You know, it's a very, uh, very important point because, I mean, I don't even understand how a company can conceive of, let alone develop, let alone be allowed to even give away or sell a, quote, game like that. Because that's just so disturbing on so many different levels that 
it's again, it's desensitizing the youth. You have kids that are saying they're older that are not. They're playing this game at a very, very young age. And if they're playing it over and over again or doing it with their friends, they're thinking, hmm, you know what? This this isn't so bad, <laughs> right? It's like, look, right. I, I I can kill myself five different ways and you know, I, I can come back and try it again. Well, uh, no, I'm sorry. The real world doesn't work that way. You do it once, you're done. You're not coming back. And there's nothing glorious about it. There's nothing fun about it. There's nothing even remotely amusing about it. Yet these companies, for whatever reason, have decided to develop a game like that. And that, I just can't even understand the mentality of the person that's sitting there coming up with the idea and then allowing it to come to fruition. Well, research suggests that after after the trauma of one of my presentations or or what we're talking about now, people that are listening to this, for 13 days, people will really be diligent in their school safety uh, manners and what they try to do to help. And then after that, we go back into our culture of complacency yeah, because we're right. humans. So my school safety 101 is so shocking, I'm hoping it gets them for 180 days for an entire school year, people on board to be advocates for what we're trying to do for kids. And until we do that, until we get teachers and parents on board with getting rid of these crazy standardized tests and getting rid of the, the way we've, we've done it since the early 1900s, it's not going to change. So I need everybody. Everybody counts. One person counts. I need everybody on this. And that's why I do the School Safety 101 program all over the nation, because every time I can get somebody on board with that, calling their, their politicians, calling their legislators, that's one more step towards movement. Yeah. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. when you take a look back at a lot of these events that we've seen. You mentioned you had been in Parkland and had been in Florida. Uh, when we look at these things, you know, there's always, oh, well, why wasn't that being done? Or why couldn't this have been something that was implemented beforehand? And, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. It's always, we always have that the benefit of looking at things afterwards through a different lens than we did prior to an event. Because a lot of times we don't even conceive of some of these things until after the fact. So right. when we're looking at something like, though, you know, when we analyze the violence and we analyze those mass shootings, uh, in your opinion, what, what sort of mistakes or defensive errors were made in a place like Parkland that might have, you know, mitigated the situation, you know, in a, in a certain way? Well, I talk about Parkland quite a bit in my in my one on one program, uh, not because they didn't have a good plan, because Parkland had a pretty good school safety plan there. They had a police officer there, a trained police officer with weapons. They had sentries outside and inside their buildings. So let's take that Parkland incident and, and dissect it a minute. So the perpetrator showed up in an Uber car, an outside sentry saw the car pull up, drop off somebody. So he, he had an alert going on, saw the person get out, knew the person, alert get, getting louder now, knows the person, knows the person shouldn't have been there, has had dealings with this person in the past as having behavioral issues, knows he's not supposed to be on, on school grounds, sees him walking towards the building. And what he does next is what I think is the biggest problem. His brain tried to rationalize everything that he was seeing, and he contacted another sentry inside building 12 to let him know that Nick was coming in that building instead of calling a lockdown as soon as he saw that he was walking towards the building because you know what he saw? He saw and identified a rifle bag. The what? sentry identified a rifle bag and said it looks like he's carrying a rifle bag and still never called a lockdown for that district or that school he called the sentry inside the sentry walked towards the door was going to meet him nick walks into a, a stairwell and the sentry instead of following him or chasing him or doing something while the gun was still in that bag turns around and says i'll meet him on the second floor and goes back to the other set of stairwells again brains are rationalizing wow. that this is not really happening and mm -hmm. what happens the sentry inside the building dies he gets shot because he gets the gun out of the bag and starts his, his uh, massacre. It's our brains. If, if, so I'm, I'm also a consultant for Crisis Go, which is a, it's a messaging app that locks down the building for anybody. I, I tell people that my marching band instructor is the best sentry outside because she marches around that building every single day 
all day long with our bands. She can see everything that's going out, and I tell her, you knock, you lock down the building. If you see anything you think is outside of the ordinary, sure. and we'll find out later. So she can lock it down from two blocks down. All she got to do is press a button. If he would have pressed the button that day and locked the building down and then tried to figure out what was going on, those kids would still be alive today. But yeah, and it would have and, and what would be the big deal anyway? Okay, inconvenience some people for a little while if it would end up being nothing. But as you said, we don't want to be that. We person. rationalize. We rationalize these things. We think, oh, there must be a logical explanation for this or a rational explanation why they're here. It. Teachers do it, and that's why I did the para mindset because we've got to get into the mindset of this is real. Something's happening with that kid. We got to deal with it today. Don't just say that's Johnny being Johnny. And that's Parkland's incident. Incident is a great, a great example. A devastating example of somebody's brain trying to rationalize everything that they're seeing, and they had so many opportunities to prevent that from happening, and they didn't do it. It really it boggles the mind, especially when, again, having the benefit of looking back at it now, thinking why on earth did not just one but two different people that witnessed what was happening not act? They did well, not actually respond. Actually, three, if you count the, the school resource officer who did right. not. So there again, and I don't know what his training level was, but I'm a trained raider. And a trained raider is from the Alice Institute, and it's just for schools. And it is a solo engagement. I'm also an instructor for it for law enforcement, Mm -hmm. which means it teaches you how to go in, clear the building, and do it in a dynamic way without getting killed. So you go straight to the subject, and you mitigate the situation. It's specifically, and it's terrible. It's a terrible training for anybody to have to go through, but I believe everybody that's in the school ought to have to go through it because you, nobody wants to go in and mitigate when it's a kid. Right. And that's what an SRO may have to do. And we found out right there that that SRO was not prepared to go in and do what he has been trained to do throughout his law enforcement career. And when people say, well, we've got an officer at the school, it's a great example of that's not your school safety plan. Your best weapon is right there. And if you, don't, right. if you don't train that, to work, you're going to fail on the day you need it. It's the warrior mindset, I call it. And I, I train on that. And it's all about when you're confronted with a situation, first of all, you should have thought about that situation ahead of time. You should always be thinking, what if, what if, what if, right? That way, if you have to make the decision, you already have the answer because you've already thought about it. You know what you're going to do. But it's also about having the, the mental tenacity to get around, under, over, or through whatever that obstacle is that's between you and the result that you're trying to achieve. And of course, that mindset can be applied to anything in life, but specifically to something like like this as a school resource officer or somebody in that situation, whether it's a teacher or whatnot, they need to be thinking about that ahead of time. And if something were to happen, what are we going to do? And it's not just, you know, your old run, hide, fight. It's got to go so far beyond that. And I, I mean, that's stuff what I train on as well is you, that's just the basics. You have to then expand upon each one of those and bring in other, you know, information and other resources to bear in order to be able to come out the other side alive. And when people don't think about it, they bury their heads in the sand, they get caught up in their routines, they have their comfort zones, which I think are two of the most dangerous things that, that can happen is, you know, when we have our routine, we think, you know, tomorrow is going to be the same as today, which was the same as yesterday. So, you know, why wouldn't it be the same, right? And we have the routines that we're in in a daily basis, whether it's, you know, taking our dog for a walk down the same streets or going to the same grocery store or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And so we get complacent. And same thing happens to teachers and to students. You know, you go to school every day. Why wouldn't tomorrow or today be the same as yesterday? Because, it has been like that for days or months or years even, but it just takes that one instant to have it all change. And it's unfortunate when that awareness isn't around, that para mindset does not exist, and then people die. And that's something that we, we have to do everything we can to prevent that from continuing to occur you know, in our schools and around our nation because our children and their children deserve much better. So I, uh, how can uh, our listeners, uh, we're, we're, we're cranking through our hour here as I knew we would, <laughs> um, but uh, how can our uh, listeners contact you for more information and, uh, and order your book? Because we pull up the website, safeschoolsystems.org. 
Uh, you've also got a personal sure. website, Dr. Steve Webb with two Bs, right? Dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Sure. And you can also go to education in a vital world book.com and it has a, a link to the uh, Amazon site where you can purchase the book, both uh, either electronically uh, in an electronic form or paperback form. Uh, but I, I'm, I've just been extremely fortunate in, in uh, having speaking engagement all across the nation and being able to talk to people, to school boards, to school resource officers, to teachers, to parents. Uh, and that word, that word and getting that out is, I, I think, so important to our mission to uh, protecting our kids. This book is just one of those facets of that. You know, I'm proud that it's a bestseller on Amazon, but even more than that, uh, I hope when, when people read it, they go out and they tell somebody else, you need to have the pair of mindset everywhere you go. And if that happens, then I think we'll start changing the way we think. Because let's just face it, we're getting worse with our situational awareness. We're getting yes. worse because of these right here. And that's not going to change. There will always be a new best version of this. Right. So right. we've got to start training this to be prepared for that day. So do you have any last thoughts for our audience or would you say that's it? Just get that mindset. Uh, whenever we, whenever we start talking about school safety, let's talk about school first and let's, let's go back to our schools. Let's go to our legislators. Let's go to our leaders and let them know. Let's talk about the actual schooling part first of what we do. And it cannot be for some arbitrary cut score on a test. That has to be our number one change if we're going to stop the violence in schools. Let's address these kids as individuals rather than a, a, a cow in a herd like we've been doing for hundreds of years. That's when we're going to change the tide and start seeing kids connected to our schools, to our communities, and learn how to be humans again. And then they're going to stop killing themselves because they're going to be they're going to know their lives are worth something. But it's going to take you. It's going to take you to be that quarter inch difference in a kid's life. And if you're not if you're not ready to do that, then you're part of the problem. Fantastic information, Dr. Webb. We really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, of course, to our listeners for tuning in to Safety Talk. Uh, you can get more information, uh, additional episodes, past episodes, and our next episodes, as well as the latest news about safety and security from safetytalkpodcast.com and the YouTube channel at safetytalkvideos.com. So, Dr. Webb, thank you again. And until next time, everybody, we're going to tell you, stay safe.